0: Right now on Tech Radio, infinite possibilities on Google, the best tech series to binge on TV, and Dublin 8 goes all digital. Tech Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or Friday evenings on RTE Radio. My name is Dusty Rhodes. This is show number 948. And I'm joined as ever by our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson. Niall, question for you. Where is the best place to bury a dead body?
1: Oh, right. Okay. Well, I mean...
0: In the ground, I'm going to say, no. The correct answer is page two on a Google search because no one ever looks there. But don't. That was a good one, Dusty. Old that joke. Anyway, yeah, it brings me around to uh, some changes happening on your Google browser. That actually is not true if you're uh, using a desktop uh, computer, because they do continuous scrolling now for searches on uh, or on mobile phones. Sorry they're taking it to desktop search. So you'll no longer have to go on to page two or
1: page three or whatever. Ah, do, do you know what? That is such a load of nonsense. Because uh, I mean, we, we both have experience of Google search on both sides of the uh, of the SEO debate. Mm-hmm. And you tend to find that if something goes below the fold of the screen, that's, that's it. So you could have oh, 10 well, entries that's, on a screen. That's,
0: that's true. Yeah. Yeah. You could you could have a thousand entries on the same page. It doesn't matter if it's not in the first bit when you're looking at the screen. That's yeah, you're right.
1: Yeah, it's it's completely unnecessary. I, I remember, um, I think it was in The Great Hack. There was um, uh, one of the talking heads on it was the guy who invented infinite scroll mm. uh, for Facebook. And he was basically like, I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm glad he said that. I'm so that.
1: sorry I invented this. It just created such uh, a space for misinformation just to be fired at you forever, basically. So he's like, Do you know what? If I knew it, I wouldn't have done it.
0: <laughs> I think it's because there's no end. It's like when you're reading a book, at least it's broken into chapters, and you kind of go, oh, I'll finish this chapter mm. and then I'll, I'll leave it off for a while. The infinite scroll. Yeah, yeah. Oh horrid. Uh, and the other quickie thing on uh, Google Chrome, what I was thinking of, uh, was a little thing. Now, if you type in the at symbol and then whatever word it is that you're looking for, mm-hmm. it will look in the uh, search tabs or the bookmarks or even your history on the actual browser Now, that before it goes like out a, onto the internet.
1: That sounds like a trick they have borrowed from Windows. Because if you go into a, a Windows search, mm. it will search pretty much everything in that right. little box. Yeah. Personally, I would just rather it gave me, you know, what is sitting on the on the desktop instead instead of integrated search results for for the web as well. It's like I don't I don't want that. So mm. it's interesting to see Google apparently taking the worst of off new windows uh, and thinking it's a fantastic idea. Let's do some of that. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's kind of keeping up with the Joneses kind of a thing. You know, it's like you can do something, we can do it just as well. Or right. in our case, you know, just as badly.
0: They're there only small things. I mean, the big news online, of course, is Harry and Meghan on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. no, let's move on, let's move on. (laughs) I don't even (laughs) want to know Uh, what I really meant. We're not watching it because we're talking about the uh, Tyrannus trial uh, instead. Mm. Give me a summary just to bring me up to speed in one sentence what it's about.
1: Okay, right. Blood test machine didn't work. That is that is the very basic of it, right? Okay, let's expand oh, it out. But, but
0: scientists said it did.
1: Oh, well, <laughs> hmm. let's expand it out. Blood yep. test machine didn't work. Mm-hmm. Investors defrauded. Massive case. There you go. Most important thing, investors defrauded. You, yes. you sim- Things can go wrong with the science. That's expected. Never mess with the investors. That will get you in prison. And that is what happened. The uh, two company founders, the first one, the uh, uh, Elizabeth Holmes, a very media friendly, very well controlled individual, um, uh, you know, dressed up like Steve Jobs, really dropped out of college, really wanted to, to be the female Steve Jobs, mm. uh, came up with this wonderful world changing technology where you could run 200 blood tests based on a drop of blood. Fantastic. A brilliant idea, uh, except the machines never worked. And she had a raft of very high profile investors, like people that, you know, she had amazing access to people that really should have known better. Um, but she got an awful lot of money and she was sentenced to 11 years in prison. Uh, her co Defendant, but although it was split out into separate cases, uh, Sonny Balwani was uh, this week convicted on 13 counts mm. and is being, sorry, he is going to serve about 13 years. Because he ended up getting um, convicted both on defrauding patients as well as investors, whereas Holmes was only uh, convicted of defrauding investors. So it's almost like she was exclusively money, whereas he was money plus patients as well. Right, okay. So she's going, she's going to serve 11 years. He's going to serve 13 years. He's 58 at the moment. So that's um, it's a very hefty chunk of one's life at this, at this stage.
0: Yeah. What about the money though? Are they, do they have to pay the money back?
1: Yeah. So according to the Guardian here, a fine of $250,000 p- plus restitution for each count. So there you go. Of course, people are going to get, Ooh, they're going to get something back. Going to well, get something back. Now there, there is an appeal in the works, although it's generally accepted that it's not going to be uh, successful. Hmm.
0: That sounds like the kind of thing that is going to make a perfect podcast or even a
1: TV show. For For those who have been following it, uh, I mean, The mm. Dropout um, has been a, a podcast, uh, of course, converted into a TV show mm. with um, Amanda Seyfried, very, very uh, talented actress, brilliant performance in it. Um, and it's just one of those, it's one of those stories that people are going to point to and go, wow, this, this, this was a, a game changer. This is where mm. something went badly wrong. Um, and of course, you're watching something where something went badly wrong at the moment.
0: Um, well, listen, don't, don't ruin it for me.
1: Uh, I just came across the uh, uh, Super
0: Pump is, is the name of the series. It's the story of uh, Uber and how they got kind of going. And there was another series like this uh, about the guy behind WeWork. And I find them incredibly uh, similar stories in that you know it's a narcissistic guy who just goes out and he tells the world whatever it is then they need to hear sound familiar um and generates loads of money and and, and basically he's just bullying his way to make uber the uh Firm that it is today. Now, what happens, I'm guessing, because I never knew this guy and I know nothing about this guy, but from, you know, what it's saying on the on the description of the TV show and your reaction, I have a feeling he's not going to come to a good end.
2: <laughs> it's not going to come. I'm sure
1: we talked about Travis Kalanick on the show at some stage uh, because it was quite a, a, a high profile mm. um, ousting uh, because he was, you know, the, the standard tech bro and Uber became very well known for having a toxic work culture, very much a uh, uh, testosterone fueled work culture, not friendly yep. to, uh, to women. Uh, and that in part led to, um, led to his ouster, but also he was caught on camera being absolutely horrible to one of his drivers. Anyway, it's a limited series, seven episodes. Um, did you see the playlist? I, I didn't watch it. That's I did
0: the... actually, yes. Okay. And that's a that's about uh, Ek, uh, Daniel Eck, isn't it? Uh, yeah, the guy who founded Spotify and it's on Netflix. Uh, and again, it, uh, he was well, he wasn't kind of uh, I don't think he was the narcissistic type, um, but he was definitely the guy who had a vision and and he went and he just super concentrated on getting there, which is what successful people do. Um, I thought it was a very interesting series in that it told the story from Daniel's point of view. And then at the end of episode one, uh, one of the other major characters went, "But well, that's not what really happened. <laughs> All right. Uh, and, and, okay. and then you watch the second episode of the series and it tells the same story, but from that second character's point of view. So I think the first okay. episode is from Daniel's point of view. The second episode was from his major investor's point of view. Uh, the third uh, was maybe from a lawyer's point of view who got over the hump with the the record companies and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, so... Um, uh, yeah, that's it's, interesting. Yeah, that's good. I think if, you, if you're looking for something to watch over Christmas, there's a couple of things. You've got the dropout, you've got uh, Super Pumped, uh, you've got uh, Spotify and there's, there's all the major tech brands covered.
1: Yeah, because I remember when um, the playlist was initially advertised, it was like six episode limited Netflix series. And I was like, mm. oh, this is, this, is, this is another Netflix con to keep you on the platform for mm. six hours instead of two. Uh, but if they shift the, um, the perspective, that's actually quite interesting so I might I might actually watch that Uh,
0: yes okay Uh, I would say I binged four and then I couldn't wait to watch the next two and they just weren't as good oh okay so, Uh, yeah but what I'm saying more or less what I'm saying is save yourself a third of the time <laughs> and only watch the first four just episodes just watch the first
1: four and, <laughs> and you'll be done. grand
0: because what was annoying was at the end of the sixth episode like that was just the end of the six person story and that was it There was no conclusion or end of story or anything like that. It was just, it kind of just whimpered out a little bit. But anyway. Okay, that's interesting.
1: There we go. So, so yes, some more TV
0: more TV recommendations this week than, uh, than tech news. That's but then it. again, we are on the run up to Christmas. Niall, thank you very much for keeping us up to date. As always, do remember, uh, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates and daily newsletter and more at our website, all for you at techcentral.ie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Tech Central. The average person creates 1.7 megabytes of data per second. So you can imagine how much data, traffic and security cameras and sensors, which are running 24 hours a day, generate. But what do you do with all that data? Leon Butler is artist in residence at the Digital Hub, and he spoke with Niall Kitson about his project, which is using data on air quality, traffic levels
1: and more, gathered by sensors to create a digital model of Dublin 8. Leon, like a lot of artists, you've had sort of an eclectic career to date, particularly in art tech. So tell us a little bit about where you've come from.
2: Yeah, I suppose I worked um, as a designer out of college initially, uh, using 3D and making animations and visualizations. And then uh, I went back and did a master's in digital media. And from there, I started kind of exploring uh, the world of. Code and um, the kind of tensions between uh, art and the machine and using them in different ways. And that kind of manifested in creating a generative typeface in, in 2015 that was programmed. And um, that led on to really kind of getting into the world of art tech and creating uh, speculative and intentional design projects.
1: I suppose intentional is a, a really important word to use there because. Uh, some of the work you've done to date has involved pulling uh, publicly available information or easily accessible information, uh, particularly in one project in Riga that you were involved in, if you can tell us about that.
2: Sure. So um, as part of the European Media Arts Platform, uh, I was one of the selected artists for 2022 and went to Riga for two months to work with the Rixi Gallery there, uh, creating a work around surveillance and performance. So using the infrastructures of surveillance to create artistic uh, interventions. So I used scraped publicly available camera IPs that were unsecured and fed those through a program that I, I wrote in processing to create musical performance with uh unknown actors across the world and it kind of gave a, a very evenness of of access to it but it also kind of asked people to to think about you know what's around them reimagine our our, our relationship with that and it used open cv facial recognition which is you know w- one of the the genesis of the project was facial recognition being allowed to be used in Ireland by the, by the Gardaí, um and how our relationship with cameras, uh, their ubiquity and the, that kind of machine learning layer on it to, to utilise that for performance, but also to ask the audience to question their relationship with cameras and with machine learning. I think it's such a ubiquitous thing that uh, we're so
1: used to seeing lenses and CCTVs and everything as a a legitimate piece of infrastructure that we don't really think of them as, uh, um, I suppose we do accept that they can be hackable, but not so much that they would be unsecured so so much in uh, public. Do you think that raised uh, any particular awareness of uh, personal security or did it change your own attitude towards personal security?
2: Yeah, it it kind of asks, you know, how much of how much you need to see to, to recognize a face. And there's certain, you know, cultural parts that that came with that. It was definitely the end of COVID, but uh, cameras that I was looking at in Japan, people were still wearing face masks, so you couldn't see their face as well. Um, other other places where it was wetter people would have hats on so different things happened so I got very aware of how much face it takes for the for machine learning to work or the the, the location of, of the camera and sometimes watching the feeds people would cover their half their face and it felt like thing you thing you I, I, I was watching but it was interesting because it was you know during COVID a lot of people were streaming art as their intervention or streaming their performance and a lot of arts organizations felt that they didn't have the infrastructure to do that or they had to build capacity. And I was accessing this capacity that was kind of freely available and leveraging th- those networks. So it felt, it felt nice to, to harness some of the infrastructure that is meant kind of for oppression and use that for expression, if you get me.
1: Looking now at uh, what you're working at in Dublin at the moment, you've you've been given a very um very interesting brief and a very wide brief in terms of looking at data and how it relates to the to the locality. So tell us a little bit about the material uh, that you've been working with.
2: Sure. So the the call from the Digital Hub was to follow on from uh, Patrick Lynch, who's here as a technologist in residence, and Patrick. Created and uh, developed a lot of uh, sensor fields within the the Digital Hub Dublin 8 campus. So he added uh, sensors for car data, so car frequency, uh, air quality. They even added sensors to the beehives that are on campus to know what the temperature for those, uh, what the weight was, so they could tell, you know, at different times of seasons what was going on and how that could maybe correlate with the air quality data. And so um when the call went out, I it was to, you know, to take these feeds and to interpret them and to visualize them or to utilize them in a way that would allow the public to understand, uh, interact, to, uh, to really bring them to life. And so I wrote a proposal um, called uh, This Visible City that kind of looked at the data layer that sits across a lot of cities. You know, we have a data layer that's invisible, but is is happening all the time and how we could bring that to life. Um, very often that's kind of done with dashboards that people can access. And uh, I find them a little bit, a little bit opaque. They're not that easy to use. They don't really um, encourage people in so much if you're not, a scientist or if you're not interested in the hard data they're not they're usually graphs so how we can bring bring the data to life in a way that would mean more to people or people could interact with in on a more human level
1: so looking at some of the outputs that you've had, um, it's, it's kind of interesting, particularly looking at the car data, just to see this sort of visualization overlapping kind of everything else that we do. It's almost like a, a Photoshop layer going over a, a regular image of, of where we are. So um, can you describe to me a little bit about uh, what people are actually seeing with this material?
2: It's, it's kind of like a data sculpture. It's a, a 3D object that uh, feeds uh, the, the kind of CSV file that you get from uh, the sensors that Patrick gave me. And I took those and um, used use Unity, which is a, a game engine, and the VF, VFX graph specifically to create these uh, data sculptures that uh, evolve over time and affect things within it. So the turbulence within it is affected by the amount of uh, frequency of cars passing by and the emission, so the amount of actual points coming out is uh, affected by that as well. So initially I just started with sin waves that would affect that and then fed in the data. So I wanted to place that in an environment that would locate it on the hub. So I created um, uh, NERF scans, which is neural radiance field uh, scans of the digital hub and created a point cloud from that. And so I was able to sit the sculptures, the data sculptures uh, located within it, within the place. So to give it a sense of a sense of location. And of course, it's it's
1: or using uh, gaming technology it has added that kind of level of depth creation environment that you can uh, almost interact with
2: it's nice to be able to explore uh, places that you you might pass you might see and you, you can you know where they are but you haven't walked around them and the ability to kind of Explore those spaces with you know six degrees of freedom around is is really important, um, and so the the kind of volumetric scanning and creating of the space using these uh, NERFs or neural radiance field uh, gives you a sense of the place, but not a perfect sense. I'm not trying to recreate reality. I'm trying to create a kind of fragmented memory of it, so that you have enough data there to know that there's the tower and there's the data so it can kind of locate where it is in a way that still holds uh, a kind of a different aesthetic appeal, not trying to recreate reality. So it's almost
1: like not not so much the tower as the shadow of the tower or the form of the tower in data.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's it, 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 it's a kind of shattered view of it. So a fragmented point cloud that you can easily pass through. I think one of the problems with passing... Buildings is they're so dense. Sometimes you feel like I can't go in there. I can't pass that gate. I can't do it. And this kind of broken point cloud form invites people to explore. That you see uh, a form uh, which might be the, the the data sculpture appearing in the distance, and that draws you towards it. And there's located audio as well that makes you want to walk in that direction to see see what it is. So to to encourage people to explore without overly directing their experience
1: i suppose one thing i have to ask any anyone working in art tech about is the use of generative art and generative techniques um, you've spoken there very briefly about using uh, generative techniques to you know, cre- create your work. Um, what is your opinion on AI as a as a guide to creating art? Is this something that's just a another tool in your belt, or can you see AI being sort of used as a as a legitimate creator, if you will?
2: Yeah, I think it's just uh, another evolving tool. Uh, I train data sets uh, to do things for me to create um to create typefaces and to create uh, identities for for brands i've used um i've used machine learning to do that and so the on the ethical side of it i think some of the training data not being included or using someone else's data to train it and not crediting them isn't correct uh, and so uh, uh, an opt-in uh, an opt-in creators field or an opt into it is it, it is really important. So, I think if you are a private enterprise like Dali, and then you've taken people's work to train your data set but not credited them in any way, um, it really does ra- raise questions. Um, I think Stable Diffusion have been much more open about their data set, and they allow you to search the data set to see if, you're, if you've are if you been part of the training data. So uh, there's a website called, I think, Have I Been Trained, and you can search for your, your, your work to see if you're in there or not, uh, which is an interesting part. But I suppose we're all training different AIs all the time um, by being part of whatever networks we're on. So
1: it's possible that in future, when you, you know, say, sign up for a newsletter or visit a website and experience a tracking cookie, your uh, your pattern might also become a part of a data set that might be interrogated by an artist as well as a marketer.
2: Yeah, I think I think it is already, you know, Spotify have done a lot of work allowing people to access their data set to create artistic um and interventions from that. And there's a beautiful piece that allowed you to see when someone else across the globe listened to the same songs you at the same moment and created that kind of link so it can be used for 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 good um i suppose it's just when you don't have control over your your personal data which none of us really do uh how it can be used in a way that isn't isn't regulated um and there's interesting thoughts about that when who's in control of it and, and, and how it's used And
0: that was Leon Butler Artisan Residence at the Digital Hub chatting with Niall Kitson that's it for our show for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters, and more at our website, techcentral.ie. And of course, you can catch us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty, and from Nod Kitson. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie.